And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hello there, welcome to the semi-inaugural episode of Dave Does Podcasts, a Two True Freaks presentation. I am David Weeder. And for those that are wondering, yes, I'm fairly well dropping the J. Um, I was using that as my quote-unquote professional name for a while, but I don't use it in real life. So I decided to just go with being Dave. And this is the formal official start to a new phase of this podcast. I also decided I needed to put out this episode because it needs to be sort of a, a syllabus style episode to set up what's to come over the next few years. Now, to some extent, I did so with the Epa prologue that kind of links where Dave's Daredevil podcast left off to where we're beginning now. But I felt like if I didn't do a sort of official first episode, it's not going to let the future topics stand on their own. And if I was going to do that, I might as well do a full on episode. Episode. So I'm going to talk a bit about the show and what's to come, and then we're going to, you know, do a show. Now, Dave Does Podcasts is a hodgepodge podcast, to take Gene Hendricks' description, or a hodgepod, as I modified it. Kind of a variety show covering any and all topics primarily linked to pop culture. I'm going to be weaving in a lot of different topics, uh, topics that I call semi-ongoing, since they're topics that can actually pretty much support their own podcast, but aren't. There's not really going to be a set frequency to Dave Does Podcasts um, in terms of how many episodes a, a month come out, etc. The only real thing is once everything gets settled in, episodes will be coming out on Sundays. The goal is to create essentially podcasts within a podcast while doing some standard episodes here and there, standard fare that you're used to. But this also keeps me from doing a multitude of shows as I've done in the past. And if you look at my history, this is a very big step for me. Uh, I've done Superman Forever Radio, I've done Pad Smash, I've done Dave's Daredevil Podcast, all character-centric, which has a certain limiting effect in terms of what I'm covering, but it definitely brings in people who are fans of the same material. This is me throwing the door wide open, saying I'm going to cover what I want, how I like to cover it. The main goal is I want to be excited about what's in front of me. I want to cover things in very unique, fun manners, and I always want to make it worth the listener's time. Now, having said that, as far as the rotating topics, you know, we may go a month without touching one of the rotating topics. I may have one-offs here and there. Or we may go a month that's only one topic or a mixture of the two. The main thing is I'm going to approach each topic with its own style, its own presentation. And to that end, I'm going to tell you about some of the topics coming down the pike, sort of formal announcements. Now, I've already mentioned Dave does Back to the Future, which were, well was originally mentioned to be Back to Back to the Future. It had to be changed for reasons I'll get into. But this will be a, a fairly lengthy, ongoing look at Back to the Future. The movie trilogy, the cartoon, the video game, the comic books, the characters, the concepts. All of it is going to be taken apart, looked at, and put back together. Now, that one has been announced. The new one I'm going to bring out will be Dave Does Ghostbusters, which will be similar to Dave Does Back to the Future. We'll be looking at the movie, the cartoon, the comics, etc. We're going to be taking Ghostbusters and really drilling in and exploring exactly what makes that franchise tick. What's good, what's bad, etc. And the big one, the one I've been excited for, the one that has taken up the most planning prior to really figuring out exactly what I wanted to do with the material is Dave Does Trek, which is a look at Star Trek comic books. And this will be a chronological look at the Star Trek saga in comic book form, which will include Gold Key Comics, DC Comics, IDW, Marvel, and the UK strips, among others. This will be focusing on the crew of the original series and moving from, again, before the five-year mission and onward. Now, those will all be going, um, you know, weaving in and out as we see fit, as I sit down and my creative muse takes me where I want to. There will also be smaller projects in there. 
One of the projects I put on very high priority as soon as I decided to do this show was a retrospective look at Rising Stars from Top Cow, one of my favorite comics, which will likely be about six episodes long. And while those are some of the ongoing topics and miniseries, there's still more to come, one-offs, etc., so I would be very, very excited if I were you and you're a podcast pop culture fanatic. So a lot of the dates and etc. are TBD at this point, and with this is a change to how I'm going to be doing feedback going forward. In the past, it was simply send an email to this inbox, I would read it on air and respond, with the sort of ebb and flow being a little bit unpredictable with this show, and with the desire to put some extra bits out there, I have set up a Tumblr where you can submit your feedback. I will respond through there, and eventually I'll do an email episode kind of comprising a digest of that. And you can find this at davelovestacos.tumblr.com. And again, that is for feedback and additional materials, uh, pictures, things of that nature to kind of support what we're looking at on any given episode. But that's kind of the general overview of what to expect from Dave Does Podcast. One week we may be talking about Back to the Future, the next Ghostbusters. The next week I could be talking about Charles Gateau, the man that killed President Garfield. And that's all, of course, stuff to come. Now, I didn't want to just come out and let you know, you know, expand upon the information I already put on the table. I wanted to do a legitimate episode. And from there, when I pulled on that thread, I started unraveling that sweater and decided I really want to talk about an arcade game. And the only one that came to mind, the only candidate that made sense to me, was a big ape who's also celebrating his 35th birthday this year, and that is Donkey Kong. So join me. Let's jump into the arcade. Take control of Genesis. Call me the wizard. I'm number one on the list. Click, click, bang. The highest score. I'm the legend of the arcade. Speeding up your heart rate. Beat like a hard game. Wait, stop it. Drop it down to eight bits. Bouncing like Donkey Kong. I'm going eight shit. Hyper color so you can see us glow. Glow, everybody. I want to see you go. I've ever had a chance to really talk about my love for the arcade. It is deep. It is true. The arcade during my childhood and teen years was the nerve center of the mall, which of course was the social center of the high school. Well, at least the high school kids who hadn't had a chance to drive or found the underground clubs yet. Now, of course, arcade games were not limited to the mall, but man, when you group them together in that arcade with the rust orange carpet and the darkened lights, the dim bulbs of the marquees of the cabinets lighting your way, suddenly it was another world altogether. You left them all. The sound was gone, except for the sound of Pac-Man dying, Mario jumping a barrel, or later years you would be hearing Bart Simpson, the X-Men, or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You could wander in out of the mall into the Aladdin's castle, at least in my mall, with your Sparrow Pizza, your Orange Julius, and you could spend hours there, pumping quarter after quarter into the machine that gave you tokens, which in turn brought you into the realm of the video game. Up until about my junior year, our Aladdin's castle was cavernous. 
There were two, count them, two entrances, one right off the main food court, the other off of a main corridor. It felt like multiple chambers. You would always find a secret chamber somehow, one that you've forgotten. Basically, it would took up about four mall spots. So a lot of space was being leased by Aladdin's Castle, and it was filled up almost every time I entered there. In the last few years, the term social gaming has been put on the marketplace, and that is primarily the games you play, such as Farmville, etc., through Facebook or Twitter, what have you. I would like to posit that arcades were the original, true social gaming, as you had crowds gathering around watching you play, playing alongside you in some cases. You're standing next to this stranger with a shared goal and shared achievements. Friends and enemies were made. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing in this cavernous place I called Aladdin's Castle. Sure, there were other arcades in town, but they just didn't quite stack up to this location. Now, the last few years of Aladdin's Castle kind of lost some of the luster. They reduced their space by about half, so the cavernous feeling went away. It was one big room now, only one entrance. They had taken out the old rust orange carpet, put in blue carpet, and the lights were extremely bright. As mentioned, I mean, I've played video games in other locations. I was more introduced to them through other locations such as Chuck E. Cheese and Showbiz Pizza, convenience stores, etc. In fact, I recently found a journal entry that I put in earlier this year from February of 2016 talking about Showbiz Pizza. I was terrified of the gorilla they had there, Fats Geronimo, but I remain sad that I never had the Rockafire explosion sing Happy Birthday to me. There's something missing in my life that animatronic animals didn't sing to me. Now, it could be said that I need to reprioritize, and that shows a real lack of focus in my life, but it is what it is. However, here's where I saw some of my earlier arcade games. It's the first place I ever saw Dragon's Lair, which was a mind blower at the time. Fully animated? Come on. It's where we saw Baby Pac-Man, which was this hybrid video game and pinball machine. And from the inside of the little climbing cage, I was able to see the most amazing game of Tron ever put to video games. Some guy knew exactly what he was doing, like he was Flynn himself. And oddly enough, there was bad memories attached to that. They had a movie theater in my showbiz pizza that showed odd films. This one that I remember distinctly because of the trauma involved a man talking to the audience as if he was standing on stage behind a scrim. So he would actually touch the quote-unquote screen and his handprints would stay there until they faded. As if he is there, we're watching a stage show and that thing ended with the place going up in fire. I had nightmares for months. Now to get to the point here of where I'm going... All of this was where I developed my love of video games, especially the arcade games. But my origin point was actually at a truck stop where my mother, my aunt, my grandma all worked. It was kind of the social center of my family's world. It was the gathering place. And as you entered, you had a breezeway, a foyer. On the right was a glass door to the restaurant. On the left was a glass door to the gift shop, uh, pay for the diesel shop, of course, rooms up above for people to sleep. And the main bathrooms were here. In between these two bathrooms was an arcade game, and it would rotate out eventually. But since I was wee, I had to have my friend Stan lift me up and play the game that would really invite my love for video games. That's right, a wee little David being lift it up. Say it with me, everybody. Aww. But that game is what we're revisiting here, which is Donkey Kong. Coming soon to a theater nowhere near you. In a world where a lowly Italian carpenter owns his own gorilla. It's me, Mario. Something big is about to be released onto the city. Something dangerous. Something is about to hit an unsuspecting construction site and it isn't alone. darkest hour, a hero will rise to the occasion.
A destiny will be forged as Mario Mario faces Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong is a game with one really odd concept, and that is that Donkey Kong, which is a gorilla, has kidnapped Pauline, which was originally named Lady, the girlfriend of a carpenter named Mario. That's right, a carpenter. Donkey Kong takes the girl to the top of a construction site, damaging the beams on the way, and leaves Mario having to climb these beams, avoiding barrels, fire, etc., to get to his girlfriend. Now, there's been a lot of question exactly how this was developed. Some say it was developed as a Popeye game, but Nintendo could not secure the license. Others say it was just sort of inspired by the love triangle in Popeye. Long story short, as Mario, you've got to get your pet back, who's kidnapped your girl, which is weird to say. I mean, let that come out of your mouth once, and you'll realize just how odd this game is, really, at the core. Now, allegedly, the other plot, which is kind of supported by the sequel to this game, is that Mario is actually the abusive owner of Donkey Kong, and the gorilla is basically getting his revenge and trying to escape. What we do know, though, is that the game was designed by Shigeru Miyamoto off of a radar scope machine, which was one of Nintendo's earlier concepts. They basically took the cabinet and repurposed it. Radar scope was kind of Space Invaders. No, it was exactly Space Invaders, just tilted. It's not original, nothing special about it, and it just was not selling. And for those that don't know, Nintendo was a playing card company before they got into video games, and they were kind of not doing so well with that. They needed something to keep the company alive because they were not in great shape. And with this game, it was just hit out of the park. Donkey Kong made its way to the USA in 1981. And then one of the first locations to host the game was Spot Tavern in Seattle, Washington. In its first year, Donkey Kong sold 60,000 units for a total of $180 million. Suffice it to say that it was a hit. And of course, its effects are still felt today. Now, the controls on this are pretty simple. You have the standard joystick for running back and forth and climbing as well as a jump button. The cabinet is a pretty straightforward cabinet, predominantly blue with a standard marquee on top. On the side is an image of Donkey Kong running with Pauline in hand as Mario is in pursuit and barrels are flinging and flowing all around them. The marquee has a logo with the red and orange yellow, well, yellowish stripes up, up above. Images cut and pasted from the side, essentially. It's basically the same thing, just kind of spread out across the more rectangle marquee. Now, I want to note that Mario is well known today for console games. Nintendo's biggest mascot. Here he's less cute, less marketable. He's a little less Olsen twin, a little bit more Bob Saget here. He has bushier hair, a curvier chin. He's a very, very big caricature. And as mentioned, a carpenter. My confusion with Mario in the 80s was based on Pizza Inn, since their mascot, whose name is Jojo, was an Italian man with a mustache throwing a pizza dough in the air. Mario very much looks like this, and it always makes me want pizza when I look at these old pictures. And I'll put these pictures up at davelovestacos.tumblr.com. Now the screen and bezel have candid images of the characters, primarily in portrait-like circles in the corner, with uh, the stripes around it. It really does have a circus feel, which fits the Donkey Kong theme. It is a gorilla. So as simple as this sounds, I mean, it is a simple arcade game, cabinet-wise, play-wise, sure, yes. Where's the innovation? There are characters in this game, a plot even, and the gameplay is exceptional. I mean, yes, the graphics are very 1981, but they managed to put some personality on the screen. They have a very clear-cut story that you can follow, that you can emulate. And ultimately, it was the birth of the side-scroller. And Mario just, he wasn't just a character that would be native to the side-scroller, he was the damn mayor of the side-scrolling platform game. Now, for the benefit of this episode, I did visit a local arcade and put Donkey Kong, as well as Donkey Kong Jr., which we're going to talk about in a moment, up against other games of their time. With Donkey Kong, you put it up against Defender. 
You have a generic ship over vector mountains. Great movement, no real story. It's another ship shoots other ships and asteroids type thing. Galaga is the exact same thing. You have Frogger, which involves a frog crossing a road. Very basic, very natural. There's no personality to this frog that just wants to get from point A to point B and not get messed with. Now, there is Miss Pac-Man that came out that year, which does have a bit of character correct, but those characters were developed more after the fact, by cartoons, by, well, Chef Boyardee, things like that. But there's nothing to really latch on to, story-wise. So as mentioned, I visited a local arcade, and I do want to give them props. It's called 1984. It's here locally. Pay $7.50 to get in. All you can play. It loses some of the magic because it's extremely clean. It's sleek. They have a big Wrath of Khan poster on the wall, laser tagged. They have a little living room area where they'll normally play movies on a console TV, which excites the heck out of me. And they've also added a Ghostbuster room recently, which emulates the New York library, as well as the door saying Bankman Burn in Hell. Freaking phenomenal place, guys. You can look them up at 1984arcade.com. But I returned to do my gaming, do some comparison, do some quote-unquote research, and I came in kind of cocky. After all, I've played next-gen games. I beat the Bioshock games. I've done first-person shooters. I've done some advanced stuff along the way, so these old arcade games should be a pinch, right? Wrong. The thing about Donkey Kong and what really surprised and pleased me was how tightly the timing works. The gameplay is extremely precise. For example, just because you have the hammer doesn't mean you're going to smash the barrel. It actually has to complete the action. You have to time your jumps precisely or you will land on the barrel. It's not willy-nilly as I would remember it. It's actually a well-crafted game. It's a true challenge still. After 35 years, Donkey Kong still owns. Now, of course, that's the arcade version, and it was great, but there were ports. Just like anything, I mean, if it's successful, you're going to see it filter out into different merchandise. And in the 80s, you would see arcade games come to, say, the Atari 7800, and you would cry because they would translate so badly. The Atari 7800 port of Donkey Kong basically has the gorilla looking like a turd. The barrels look like Ritz crackers. The challenge is just dumbed down, which is how I probably got my confusion. It just doesn't stack up to the actual arcade game. We wouldn't get a really good rendition of that on console until it hit the NES sometime in the 80s. There was also a little Coleco tabletop, which is adorable. It's like a wee little arcade game. So yes, there were derivatives, but Donkey Kong was one of the arcade superstars, which means he got perks. He got into the club. At that time, he got hooked on blow and hookers. No, wait, that's a different story. No, of course, this means merchandise, stickers, cereal, coin banks, the cartoon. Yes, there was a cartoon. And yes, I took time to watch a couple of segments. The cartoon was part of something on CBS called the Saturday Supercade. Since arcades were big in the 80s, it made sense to make cartoons because you're marketing to the same people. And the concept of the cartoon matched the concept of the video game somewhat. Donkey Kong was Mario's pet gorilla. He got loose. So he and Pauline, who is not kidnapped, chase after Donkey Kong across the world. Usually the chase would end up uh, coming across some crooks trying to commit a crime. And through their unintentional efforts, the crooks would get defeated. And then Donkey Kong would escape. So the cartoon continued ad nauseum. It was standard fare. It was cute. It's unchallenging. It was aimed right at kids, which I mean, should be. It's a Saturday morning cartoon. It's pretty much just like any cartoon before 1992 in Batman the Animated Series. It didn't try to broaden its horizons to bring in other types of audiences. And of course, as any success does, as we know now, if something is successful and it's really selling, that means sequels. This one spawned two official sequels, one spinoff, which of course we know about. One sequel I'm going to talk about, Donkey Kong 3, I'm not going to touch. I'm not going to touch Donkey Kong 3. It's freaking terrible. 
But the other sequel is Donkey Kong Jr., which hit American arcades in 1982 and sold 30,000 units, which is half of the original, but not bad. And it's actually a true sequel, picking up on story concepts from the first game. The concept of Donkey Kong 2 has Donkey Kong captured and held by Mario, and Donkey Kong's son, Jr., of course, must rescue and free his father by climbing some vines and chains, etc., avoiding enemies and getting keys to the cage. The controls remain the same as in the original. I mean, you still have the standard joystick for running and climbing and a single jump button. The cabinet was same standard design, just more of a orange. And on the side, you have an image of Junior holding a key and along with his dad, they are angrily chasing Mario. And as any rational human being would, Mario is running away from the angry gorillas. The marquee is similar. We have a logo and Mario reeling from being hit on the one side and an angry Donkey Kong and Junior on the other. The bezel has a left side image of Junior climbing some vines. Along the top, Junior is swinging through some vines. On the right side has palm trees with a coconut falling. And the bottom has these odd gator bear trap creatures. And you know, when you really try to apply logic to the story of both of these games, really up to this point, you really have to break it down to the fact that it's freaky. Mario, a carpenter, owns an ape. An ape escapes and kidnaps his girlfriend. The ape goes on this spree, causing terror and property damage all over the place, and then goes home. No animal control, no court dates, no nothing. You take that into the sequel, now you have his son. Also Mario's pet, or is this an estranged son? We don't know. Was Donkey Kong taken from the wilds of Africa, away from his family? To be a carpenter's pet? We don't know, and that's disturbing. Either way, his son has to rescue his father from Mario's hideout. And it's actually the terminology used, Mario's hideout. Some weird citadel full of vines, electricity, evil birds, and weird snapjaw creatures. The question becomes, why does a carpenter have all of these animals in a freaking citadel? How can he afford it? How does he get away with it? And how is it down the road he suddenly becomes a plumber and falls into a strange land with mushrooms where the animal abuse continues by crushing turtles and mushrooms? Something's not right here. As mentioned, you do have some major enemies in this, like Snapjaw, the bear trap alligator hybrid I was talking about, that climb up and down the vines. You have nitpickers, which are tropical birds that want to attack you. And at some level, you have sparks, which are these electrical orbs that orbit the power lines. And at the top of all of this, that's right, Mario. Mario, our beloved Mario, it is a freaking villain. Now, on a technical standpoint, when I approach this game, I have to admit, it's an upgrade. In challenge, in design, in precision, the gameplay, but for some reason, I don't like it. Now, I've never, never claimed to be good at arcade games. I will never claim to be good at arcade games. My eye-hand coordination's a little off. But this was just frustrating. And while the original Donkey Kong is probably just as frustrating in some ways, I still have the warm, fuzzy memories, so it's actually going down memory road rather than getting angry and throwing things and getting kicked out of the arcade again. And of course, since Donkey Kong Jr. was actually a success, you saw some of the similar aspects happen. Almost like video game celebrities, you saw him have ports to the Atari, and they added his cartoon to the Saturday Supercade. And the Donkey Kong Jr. cartoon is one of the most depressing concepts to ever be put on TV, at least for children. You have Donkey Kong Jr. continuously searching for his father, along with a greaser named Bones. They would get into wacky adventures, but never find his dad. Think about this. We're putting a TV show where a character's father is missing and he's searching for him. We're going to serve this up as Saturday morning fair so then the kid will want to go out and buy the Atari game and get the Donkey Kong Jr. t-shirt. It doesn't quite work. It just kind of screams of more and more trauma in this storyline. But with this expansion, the saga suddenly had a cast of characters that was growing. Mario, of course, went on to become a plumber and team up with his brother Luigi and Mario Brothers as a spinoff, which of course spawned Super Mario Brothers, turning these two into console kings and the flagship of Nintendo as a company. 
Donkey Kong kind of disappeared a little bit. He did go to Donkey Kong 3, which I'm just refusing to talk about because it's Donkey Kong in a greenhouse, and your goal, as a character not related to any of these, is to shoot Bug Spray at his crotch. It just completely destroyed the gameplay that's gone before, the storyline, and just sucks because you're trying to shoot Donkey Kong in the crotch. And it bummed me out for a really long time because Mario became this big flagship character while Donkey Kong, for a while, disappeared. He didn't really end up in the public spotlight till he got a new lease on life in Donkey Kong Country. One of the big reasons I wanted to talk about this was it was such an innovative game for me. To introduce me to video games, to bring me into a place where I'm going to visit the arcade on Friday nights or Saturday afternoons. But also, it brought about Nintendo. If you want the biggest legacy of Donkey Kong, it's Nintendo. This saved the company. This helped expand the company. It gave them their flagship character. From here came The Legend of Zelda. It came Metroid. came Castlevania. came Super Nintendo. I mean, if you really want to look at history, Nintendo brought back the console. That whole product line was dead. Nobody wanted a home console, yet Nintendo changed it completely. Created a competitive market where things like the PlayStation could come about which was actually a direct result of Nintendo. You also saw things like the Genesis. You saw it keep going up until we have the next generation consoles where video games are a part of our day-to-day lives. I mean, the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 are far beyond just video games. They're entertainment consoles in general. And Nintendo never would have been able to launch the Nintendo Entertainment System without their success with Donkey Kong. Otherwise, the company would have folded. You would never have heard the term Nintendo. Nintendo has been praised over the years of being innovative. Uh, bringing about the Wii, motion control consoles, in a time when it was very much wireless consoles were the next gen. And Nintendo created something completely different in the market from the Xbox or the PlayStation. And if that's the case, then Nintendo has that innovation, has that source in Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong essentially showed what an arcade game was capable of, and then, of course, came the followers, developing it further and further. So essentially, Nintendo is the story of Donkey Kong, from an ape to an empire. And damn it, I really should copyright that. But, regardless of how much innovation it brought to the table, it's still part of a bygone era where you could walk into any mall or any convenience store and find worlds of wonder within the joystick realm. For a simple token, you could be in the world of Altered Beasts, Frogger, Wizards and Warriors, all kinds of various arcade games, and now, I defy you to find a traditional arcade out there. I mean, it's doable, but it's very rare. And even then, the games are outdated. Nobody is really going to the arcade. Nobody is doing actual social gaming. I mean, kids refer to the concept of an arcade as retro, which, fair enough, some of the games are indeed that. However, is it really that far gone? Am I really that old, is I guess the question. At a year shy of 40, I start looking back on things from my childhood, the things that made me happy, which is kind of what I'll be talking about on the show. So if you look at things like origin points, I can actually point to one with Donkey Kong. I can't point to one with comic books, for example. Likewise, Star Trek has pretty well always been around. And personally, that point of origin is a, a legacy of sorts for Donkey Kong for me. You know, from playing the game hoisted up as a wee little Dave at the truck stop to revisiting it earlier this week, it creates a bit of a connection to the past as I'm growing older and getting a little bit more cranky. However, I think I've bent your ear long enough for this round. Next week, though... A week from today, that's right, one week, I will have another episode. It is October 19th, which is my 39th birthday. I'm going to celebrate it with you and another property having an anniversary in 2016. So in one week, I will reveal why you can't kill Star Trek. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to visit davelovestacos.tumblr.com. I have several Donkey Kong-related images, etc. put up there. Until next time, I'm Dave Weeder. This has been a trip to the arcade, courtesy of Dave Does Podcasts. (laughs) We'll be right back.
Dave Does Podcasts is a Two True Freaks production and is made for entertainment purposes only. The show does not draw profit from the characters or concepts discussed. All opinions are those of the host and do not reflect the views of any other individual, entity, or organization. The copyrights for any music or sound clips lie with the copyright holders. They are used for entertainment purposes only and no infringement is intended, as this show most certainly does not draw revenue. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time.